Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. We have the privilege today of hearing from a guest preacher, Pastor Jürgen von Hagen from Germany. He is a professor of economics at the University of Bonn. He's also a pastor of a church in Mülheim. I got it right this time. Said the wrong town earlier. This is Jürgen here, and we have enjoyed a long, close relationship with this dear brother in the Lord as a church uh, longer than I've been around. That's You've right. been like part of the furniture off and on through the years. <laughs> and uh, Jürgen, most recently, he's helped us in many ways over the years, and I think it's mutual. You've received help from us. Um, but Jürgen is pastoring a church um, in a, a sort of mixed-race church, interracial church in Germany of older Germans and a lot of growing number of young African immigrants. It's a very vibrant place, and uh, we, we, we are very excited about the work he's doing. Most recently, Jürgen chaired a committee here, the transition committee, to help select a pastoral successor to Pastor Bailey to find a new senior leader. I just think he did a marvelous job, don't you? <laughs> Really, it was a tremendous gift to us in a time of our need. And the elders looked to Jürgen, and he was willing to lead us through that time, and we are so thankful to him. Would you open your heart to Pastor Von Hagen this morning as he brings God's word? Thank you. Thank you, dear brother. Good morning. It's always a joy and a privilege for me to be here and have the opportunity to preach during this week, several people from this church asked me, so why are you here? Are you teaching for IU? What's your official reason? Well, isn't this enough? Why do I need an official reason to be here? <laughs> now, for those who haven't been with this church for very long, you should know that you have a little sister in Germany called Free Evangelical Church of Mülheim. Um, we actually had this relationship for many years now between the church in Germany and this church. Uh, we have benefited tremendously from it. And um, the church over in Germany prays for you regularly. So we think of you and, uh, and we bless you. As uh, Pastor Jody said, this is a community which now consists mainly of African immigrants. Um, sometimes my wife says there are Germans and then there are Africans, and I say, well, what do you mean Germans? White Germans or black Germans? <laughs> because some of them, are, they are already in the second generation, and they have citizenship. Um, and I think it's, it's really wonderful what God does. If you remember that a few hundred years ago, people, Christians from Europe, went over to Africa as missionaries to bring them the Christian faith. And now God is sending African Christians over to Germany to bring back that Christian faith, which largely has been lost. In, uh, in our part of Europe, at least. And so it's absolutely wonderful. 
And uh, you know, one of the things Africans have is children. Germans, many Germans don't have children anymore. I, I think the average number of children per woman is something like 1.2. Um, but the Africans have four or five or six. And uh, we have this uh, custom that when the school year begins, we call all of the school children to the front of the church and uh, we pray for them and bless them. And when that happened a couple of weeks ago, we had 24 school children in a church that had no children at all 10 years ago. So it's absolutely wonderful and delightful. And then you add about 15, I'd say, preschoolers and kindergarten kids and babies. And so we're a community of 80 adults now, and we have almost as many children. The Lord blesses us. What can we say? I guess my ear is not made for Bloomington technology. I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, our sermon text this morning is from the first letter of the Apostle John, chapter 3 and verses 10 to 18. First John 3, 10 to 18. This is a letter that the Apostle wrote to churches. We don't know the name of these churches, but these are churches he addresses. And so he writes... By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Now, let me make a stop here. We're in 2023. We're in the town of Indiana University. And so when you read this sentence, you ask yourself, can you talk about the devil? in this day and this place? Isn't the devil something that was invented by old women? Isn't it hard enough to believe in God? And now we're also called to believe in the devil? Well, to think that the devil is there. We are not to believe him. But people, the devil is reality. Jesus talked about the devil frequently. And so if you, if you refuse to accept the existence of the devil, you refuse to accept that Jesus spoke the truth. If you believe in Jesus, you have to accept that there's God the Father, there's Jesus, his Son, there's the Holy Spirit, and then there's the devil. Even though Indiana University doesn't like that. So, let me repeat this. By this, is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not like, be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, 
and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, loved the church, and he continues to love the church, and he will love the church forever. Now, what is the church? The church is the community of all those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and, and Savior, who confess that he is the Son of God, that he lived, he died, and was resurrected from the death by the power of our Father in heaven, the almighty creator and king of the world. The community of all believers throughout all time is what we call the Holy Catholic Church in the Apostles' Creed. And sometimes we say this is the church invisible. Now, the church invisible, of course, that's a rather abstract concept. It's hard to love abstractions, unless maybe if you're a mathematician, but for us normal people, we love concrete things. And the church invisible has its visible manifestations, its concrete manifestations in local churches such as this, Trinity Reformed Church of Bloomington, or Foot of the Cross Church of Bloomington, or Free Evangelical Church of Mülheim. You recognize a true local church by the preaching of the gospel and by the proper administration of the sacraments Jesus himself instituted baptism, which we celebrated last week, Holy Supper, which we will celebrate today. So from all we can tell is this is a true church. Jesus loved and Jesus continues to love local churches and he will love local churches forever. He loved the first church of Jerusalem. He loved the churches in Corinth, in Rome, in Ephesus, in Philippi, and all the others mentioned in the New Testament. He loves Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington today and Free Evangelical Church in Mülheim today and all the local communities of believers all around the world. Now, why does Jesus love the church? because the church is a bunch of particularly good people or lovely people or strong people? No, Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves this church because 
That's what he decided to do, period. It's the same as what we heard in the scripture lesson from Deuteronomy 7. The Lord chose his people not because they were more numerous or stronger or better than others, for indeed they were the most miserable of all nations. He chose them because that's what he decided to do. He decided to love them. His love is sovereign. It needs no reason. The apostle Peter in his first letter affirms that this carries over to the Christian church. Peter repeats to the church what Moses said to the people of Israel. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And this, brothers and sisters, that's us. That's us. All believers together are God's people whom Jesus loves. Trinity Reformed Church is part of that people. Now, what does it mean that Jesus loved and continues to love the church? The Bible says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave his life for the church. He gave his life for Trinity Reformed Church and for her sister in Mülheim and for all the other true local churches around the world. One of the grave mistakes of modern times is to think and to emphasize that Jesus died on the cross to save you or to save me individually. Jesus died on the cross to save all those who over the course of time, until he will return, believe in him as their Lord and Savior and therefore belong to the church. He died for the church. He died for you and he died for me in as much as you and I belong to his church because we believe in him. The early church father Cyprian summarized it by saying, there is no salvation outside the church. Now, we modern people are confused about what love is and what love means. We often mistake love for like. But that Jesus loves this church doesn't necessarily mean that he likes it. The important thing is that he loves it. We also tend to think that love is primarily an emotion a feeling of strong affection. But in the word of God, love is not emotion. Love is action. That's why the apostle says, let us love indeed in action. To love somebody is a strong commitment to do everything you can for the beloved person's physical and spiritual well-being to spare no expense 
and no effort for that purpose. Now, I grant you that it's easier to make and keep that commitment if you like that person or if you feel a strong affection for that person. But that's a totally different issue. Jesus said, you shall love your enemies. And he didn't say you shall like your enemies. What he meant was you should make a commitment to work for the spiritual and physical well-being of your enemies. The highest degree of love, Jesus says, is to give up your life for the beloved person, John 15. And Jesus did that. He died on the cross to make eternal life possible for all those who believe in him as their Savior and Lord, and that is for his church. Paul says in Acts 20, Jesus purchased the church by his own blood. Jesus bound himself closely and inseparably to the church to such a degree that Paul in the letter to the Ephesians says the relationship between Jesus and the church is like the relationship, the marriage bond between a man and his wife, inseparable, eternal. Jesus, Jesus identifies himself with the church to the point that she bears his name, and therefore to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. We learn in Acts 9. To sin against the church is to sin against Jesus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. To love the church, therefore, is to love Jesus, and you cannot love Jesus without loving the church. Now, at this point, you may ask yourself, what does all this have to do with 1 John 3? John doesn't even mention the church in this text. But the answer is simple. Every time John says brothers, he means the church. And ladies are included. He means the community of believers he addresses in this letter, and that includes us. John is not writing to a family about family affairs. He is writing to a church about church affairs and truths in the church. And John was present when Jesus says, whoever does my father's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. His father's will is that you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, as your Lord and Savior. And if you do, you belong to the church, and all other believers are your brothers and sisters and mothers, and Jesus Christ is the most eminent of your brothers. Now, brothers and sisters, if your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, loves the church and loves this church and loves you because you're members of his church, then you are to love the church. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It is the message, as John says, that all believers have heard from the beginning, from the beginning of your faith, you have heard that you should love one another, just like the people John is writing to. And you want to note that Jesus was not telling one believer to love one other believer, as in David loved Jody. Jesus is talking to the whole community of believers. And so he tells every single believer, love all the others in this community. Love the church. And you know what? Love, not like. What a relief. <laughs> you can love everyone in this room. You don't have to like everyone in this room. And I admit, for me, that's often a great consolation. And so what Jesus said, we could also rephrase and say, as I have loved you, so you must love the church. And this is my commandment, that you love the church as I have loved the church. So you, brothers and sisters, are called to love the church in the same way Jesus did. You are called to give up your life for the church. Now, for you, that doesn't necessarily apply in the literal sense. You don't have to die physically for the church, if only because no human being would be saved because of your death. We're all saved on account of Jesus' death. But still, you are called to give up your life for the church as Jesus did, which means you should dedicate your life to the church. Now, remember last week, Pastor Jody was talking about a passage from the letter to the Philippians where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Since Christ identifies himself with the church, we can rephrase this sentence and say, for me, to live is church. And remember what Paul said? Day and night he was going to people to admonish them, to preach to them, to pray with them, to pray for them. For Paul, to live was church. Now, you don't have to be a professional preacher to dedicate your life to the church. Giving up your life for the church begins with putting off your selfishness and supporting the church with your time and your money. It starts with attending your church's worship services and other meetings. Parents, how much do you love your kids if you don't spend time with them? Christians, how much... Do you love the church if you don't spend time worshiping with your brothers and sisters? If you don't re regularly and frequently spend time in fellowship, prayer, 
listening to the word of God, you surely do not love Jesus very much. And the point is not that you should enjoy worship services, because that would be very selfish if it's only about that. No, the point is that you're attending worship together with your brothers and sisters in the church shows to them what is important for you. And that is good for the church to see that you attend. If things like sports or movies, even work and studying are more important to you than coming to church, it shows that you place these things above Jesus. And by implication, you don't love him very much. There's always a lot of work to do around the church. The building must be clean, the floors must be scrubbed, things must be repaired, the yard must be clean, the grass must be mowed, technical equipment must be maintained, what have you. Imagine you walk into a church and you see that the building is in a state of chaos and the premises are unclean. How much would you think do the people of that church love Jesus? You would think not very much. He doesn't seem important to them. How much would you think they love the church? Not very much either. To love Jesus is to dedicate, to dedicate time to the service of the church, as Paul did day and night. And the good thing is that by serving the church, you learn to love the church and to love Jesus. Serving the church, you serve the people of God, and they begin to meet you with a smile and with gratitude for what you do. You experience that your service is appreciated and that it becomes a joy to you. Often, your service begins with small and with insignificant jobs for the church. David, you remember what that was for us and me? cleaning the stools. That was our first job in the church in the city. And when the people of God see that you're doing such small things well, they will begin to ask you to do greater things and entrust you with more responsibilities. As Jesus said to the faithful servants in the parable of the talents, you have been faithful over small things. Now I will set you over big things. Come and enter the joy of your master. Come to think about it. Jesus didn't say your service is over. Come and enter the joy. He said you'll have more responsibility, more service, and that's going to be your joy. And at the same time, people of the church begin to care for you more and help you in the areas where you need help. Now, I want to add a word of caution here. Love is action, but not all action is love. The relationship between loving the church and serving the church is a rather delicate one. There's a danger for all of us that your service to the church becomes a habit over time which you follow while your love for the church withers away. And before you realize it, serving the church 
is an instrument for you to gain recognition in the church or a way to make you feel good about yourself and hence it's self-serving and selfish. Many people start out loving the church and end up serving themselves in this way. When they get the recognition they desire, they become proud and arrogant, and when they don't get that recognition, they become bitter. How do we know when that happens to us? By realizing that we feel that serving and supporting the church becomes a burden rather than joy. The best way to guard against that is that you pray about it and speak to Jesus about it and that you talk to your brothers and sisters in the church about how you feel about service. Is it a burden or is it a joy? The Christian life is a process of growing in the faith and it's also a process of growing in the service of the church. It is a process in which you begin to discover and develop the gifts which God has given you. God gives gifts, talents to every believer, the Bible says. Now, why does he do that? So that you use your gifts to serve the church. That's why he gave you the gifts you have. You think that when I became a believer many years ago, I would have expected that one day I would be here and preach the word of God and that I would lead a local church? No, I didn't. It is a gift I had to discover and, and it took many years of serving the church in different functions. And yet I admit that there were also times when I thought being a university professor I deserve to be an elder. I deserve to lead a church, although in those days I did not have neither the humility nor the wisdom to do it. But God showed me that I still lacked humility and wisdom, and that I had to learn from other brothers and sisters. And this is an important principle in the house of God. If you desire a kind of service prematurely, God will let you know and he will give you opportunities to learn the things you lack or to realize that your position in the church and your service in the church is a different one. God does not punish you for excess ambition as your company boss would do. Paul, speaking of the office of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, says, if anyone desires to be an elder, it is a good office. And the Greek word good really means beautiful, noble, worthy to be desired. It's a beautiful office, one that can make you very happy and earn you the love of the church. And you notice the apostle could have said, if anyone desires to be an apostle, he should sit still and not be ambitious. 
But he doesn't say that. He says it's a noble office. You should desire it. And God himself will train you for this office as for, other, for all other offices in the church in all kinds of works, serving the church. So don't be discouraged. Serve the church and learn to advance in responsibility. God knows what kind of work you can do to serve his church best. Trust him. Try out what you think you might like. He will guide you and you will learn to love the church more and more and to love Jesus more and more. Great losses to the church occur when believers are discouraged from using their gifts in the service of the church. And every leadership of a local church has to struggle with that. At least I do. I struggle with making room for people to try out their service. But, you know, the standard of good service in the church is not perfection. It is love and godliness, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4. And therefore, the Apostle Paul wrote to his younger co-worker, Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, and do not neglect the gift you have. Don't shy away from the kind of service you think you might do to the benefit of the church. Now, finally, every church needs money. Those who work for the church professionally deserve to be paid for it. Scripture says, do not muscle an ox when it is threshing. And this is not a lecture in agriculture. It's a principle of the life of the church. From the earliest days of the Christian church, there were and there are men and women who work full-time for the church, as your pastors and staff people do. And there were and there are people who earn their living in one way or another and serve the church with the rest of their time, as I do. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. He never took even a penny from the churches he started or worked with for himself. And yet, Paul advised his young co-worker, Timothy, to accept and defend the principle that those who dedicate all their time to the church deserve to receive an appropriate salary. There is no difference in holiness, no difference in worth between a man who earns his salary from the church and a man who earns his salary from another job and serves the church for free. The only difference is one has more time than the other. And good and healthy churches have both, professional and people who work for free. And then, of course, the church also needs money for a lot of other things, the building, heating, paying bills, and supporting other churches who are in need, and helping poor brothers and sisters. And the fact that the church needs money implies that the believers should support it. All who are part of the church 
All who come here to worship Jesus should support this church financially. And this, too, has been an important feature of Christian churches from the earliest times. And we need to realize that giving money to the church is not a matter of duty. It's a matter of love. It's a matter of love. If you love Jesus, if you love his church here in Bloomington, God gives you the opportunity to show your love by giving money to it. Now, of course, the question is, how much? And the good news is God does not set a fixed number. And even better news, he doesn't give us an, an upper limit. There's no limit to how much you can give to the church. But there is an important principle. The important principle for all believers is if you don't feel what you give, it's worthless. If you don't feel it, it's worthless. Jesus was once sitting near the offering box in the temple of Jerusalem with his disciples with him. And the Bible says there were many rich people who came into the temple and they dropped large amounts of money. And then an old widow came and all she had was two tiny little copper pennies that she put into the offering box. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know what? This woman, in my eyes, gave more than the rich people. And the disciples were shocked and said, how can that be? And Jesus said, well, the rich people gave out of their abundance, which means they have so much money, they don't even feel what they put into the offering box. And so in Jesus' eyes, that was worthless it shows that they didn't love God. But that old woman, she put all the money she had. She really felt it. She knew that when she was going to go home, there wouldn't necessarily be bread on the table. But she trusted God, and she loved him, and she was sure that he would provide for her. And therefore, those two copper pennies were a lot more in the eyes of our Lord than all the money the rich people did. The principle is that believers give according to their degree of love for Jesus. If you love much, you give to an extent that you feel it much. If you give to an extent that you feel it little, you love little. Tithing is a good guideline for that. But now let me warn you, some of you now think that, oh, but I'm going to school. I don't make any money, so I don't have to give anything. Wrong. You have an allowance from your parents. Kids, you can give a copper penny. And if you feel it, that's good. And if you don't feel it, give two copper pennies. To love the church means to regard yourself primarily as a member of a community and the other members of that community 
as your brothers and sisters, and out of love, you count them more important than yourself. Paul says in Philippians 2. You take their spiritual and physical well-being as more important than your own. And the miraculous mathematics of the church is, if we all do that, then every single one in the church has a lot of people who regard him or her as more important than themselves. If this church has 500 members and every single one thinks the others are more important than I myself, he or she will have 499 people who think that he or she is more important than they themselves. Isn't that wonderful? Out of love for the church, you share the other's joys, sorrows, sufferings, and successes, and they share yours. Out of love for the church, you bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters. The whole weight of their failures, the whole weight of the consequences of their sins, and they bear your burdens and make your life more tolerable. Now, finally, you are called to love the church, and you are called to love this church as it is here and now. Do not love the church as it should be ideally, because if you do that, you will end up despising this church as it is. Some men love the idea of a perfect woman more than they love the woman they are married to with all her faults and all her weaknesses, and those marriages are bound to fail. Jesus loves the community of believers as it is with all their faults, all their weaknesses, and all their sins, and as believers, you are to love this church with all its imperfections, failures, weaknesses, and sins of the brothers and sisters who belong to it. Sad as they are to watch, your proper response to their failures and sins and weaknesses is not to think or to speak badly of them. Love them. Help them to get out of their predicaments. Love them because Jesus loves you with all your imperfections, failures, weaknesses, and sins. Go visit and invite them. And it's true, in Mülheim, just like here, some people come to church only in times when they are in need, in the hope to receive help, and they stay away when they don't need assistance. Your proper response to that is not to despise them for their lack of faith. Jesus helped and healed multitudes of people, giving them an opportunity to meet him, inviting them to believe in, in him. He called all those who are weary and heavy laden to believe, to come to himself, and, give, and he wanted to give them rest. He did not drive away those who sought rest but would not believe in him. So love those who come here only for help. Give them an opportunity to meet Jesus by assisting them because this is what your Lord and Savior 
what I've done. Or as John says, if you see a brother who needs help, and you refuse to help, although you could help him, how does the love of God abide in you? Brothers and sisters, think about this. John says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the church. Have you passed from death to life? Let us love not in words, let us love not in talk, but in deed and truth. True love is action. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your church, and we thank you for your love for your church and for us. We thank you, Lord, for these words this morning, reminding us that our love for the church is often weak, that we often struggle with the fact that there are people whom we don't like and then we think we don't love them. Oh, Lord, help us to love your church. Grant us your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we learn to serve your church and to serve you and to love you evermore. Amen.